let's talk about Harry Potter. Have you seen it, Nina? Have I seen Harry Potter? Jake, yeah. I'm the biggest Harry Potter fan. Do you remember that scene in the seventh film, The Deathly Hallows? The last, last one? No, the second last one, part one. Harry, Ron and Hermione are chasing down the Horcruxes. Those are the artifacts that they're trying to find and destroy so they can kill the big bad guy called Voldemort. And there's this one scene where they're in the massive wizard bank called Gringotts. And they're down in the vaults trying to get into Bellatrix Lestrange's vault. Bellatrix Lestrange is my main idol in life, but yeah, she's a bit of a nut job. She's also one of Voldemort's main followers. Well, they make their way into the vault and they're looking for the Horcrux. Accio Horcrux! And I should probably say that this vault is massive. It's filled with things like golden goblets, jewellery, gold coins, other magical valuables. And then Harry spots it. Over the other side of the vault. So he begins to slowly creep over to it, but then he kicks over a goblet. And then that turns into two goblets, then into four goblets, and then things get pretty crazy. Hey, that is the Gemino curse. Everything you touch will multiply. Give me the sauce! So they're pretty much getting buried alive under all these goblets and trinkets, but if you've seen the movie, you know how it ends. Jake, you know I love Harry Potter, but why are we talking about this? Have we turned it into a Harry Potter podcast without me knowing? Surprise! Oh, yes. That'd be amazing, but all right. The reason I'm saying this is imagine instead of wizarding goblets and coins, the thing that's multiplying is us, humans. And to put this in perspective, I'm going to do a quick run of how quickly people are being born around the planet. Are you ready? Mm, Yes, go for it. Okay. Now, 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 babies, babies, now, being born, now, now, now. You know, I could probably just keep doing this, but I'm probably going to pass out. That's a lot of babies being born. Baby overload. It equals to about two or three people being born every second around the globe. And with only a finite amount of space to put everyone... When are we going to run out of room? I'm Jake Morecambe, and this is Think Sustainability on 2SCR, where we look at practical solutions for a better planet. Now, normally I've got Ellen Lee Beater in the studio with me, but she's off in Europe for a month, so here is Nina Kopel. Welcome. Hello, thank you. Such an honor. But I feel like I should put out a bit of a disclaimer that I'm a little bit of a sustainability rookie. I, I use a reusable coffee mug, and I have a coffee plunger at work, so I've stopped buying coffee. And that's probably about it. Oh, I walk. I'm a walker. Oh, I really wow. like walking. You heard it here first. Nina Copel is a walker. This will go down in your CV history. <laughs> hey, well, I try. And maybe I'll learn a thing or two from this show over the next couple of weeks. Well, I hope so. And today we're talking about you. All of you. All of us, really. We're talking about population because it's World Population Day tomorrow. So we're looking at can population growth and sustainability really go together? Well, you said at the start, there's three people being born every second across the planet. So I don't know. So where to from here, Jake? Well, let's start by taking a trip overseas to the most densely populated country on the planet, China. (laughs) 
they always say that you got whatever you want. You are you grow up so happy. You are the happiest、uh, girl in the world, like that. This is Ying. Ying is currently studying architecture at the University of Technology, Sydney. But she grew up in China, in a small countryside area in the Gansu Province. I didn't feel in that way at that moment. I mean, I didn't realize I was so happy. I I could get what I want. When they was a child, they didn't have television. They didn't have even bicycle. So Ying is talking about her parents. My father, he said he was nearly starving when he was a child. So I just realized, oh, they think I'm so happy because compared with them childhood, I had a best childhood. Ying was born about two years after the one-child policy was introduced in China in 1980. But for her, being an only child wasn't really a big deal. Most of my classmates, my friends, they all only child in the family. So I just think, oh, my family is normal. Normal. I just think, oh, every family is just three people. I didn't realize at that moment there are so many. I think middle-sized family, like two kids or three kids. But a brother or sister could have been cool. Yeah, sometimes I just wish play with my friends overnight. I mean, when I back home, I'm just the only child in the room, so I I couldn't play with them when I out of school. So sometimes I just wish they could stay、uh, with me overnight like that. At the very end of last year, a new law was passed through the National People's Congress Standing Committee in China. They're essentially the group that governs new law, and they said that the one-child policy would be no more, and in fact, it would become the two-child policy. It would effectively work in the same way: couples would be able to have only two children, and they'd have to get approval to have that second child. And it would still be a measure to try and control the exponential growth of people in the country. But there's another reason why one became two, and that's because of the economy. <laughs> So we're going to come back to Ying and the now two-child policy. But before we get into that end money talk, I want to cover some important ground first. Like, how many people are there actually on the planet right now? It's around seven billion, isn't it? Well, if we want to be extremely accurate, or more so accurate, it's around the seven point four four billion mark at the moment. But that number's set to go up. Faster and sooner than you might think. The figure that's generally given is nine billion, but that's on the low side. There are other predictions that go higher than the nine billion. It could be as high as eleven billion, for instance. This is Sandra Kank, and I'm the national president of Sustainable Population Australia. Now these projections are for different times. The United Nations has projected by 2050 there'll be over nine billion people on the planet, and by 2100 about 11 billion. But there are variables that we have to take into account for these estimates. Depending what happens、uh, in that time period, I mean, if we if we get, say, severe food shortages and droughts and deaths of people, particularly in developing nations, then those numbers could drop down. 
But in the end, the population discussion boils down to one thing: the availability of renewable and natural resources. Probably one of the best places you can look at that is、um, in relation to seafood. Now, if you buy seafood, you will have seen how the prices have just gone up and up and up. If I go and buy a kilo of King George Whiting fillets here in Adelaide, I'm paying about forty-seven dollars a kilo. Now, that is just an impossible amount for most people to pay, and it's occurred because it's a resource that's out there in the open. Nobody owns it. Nobody contains it, and everybody says, "Well." It's for free. I can have it, and, and nobody can put any restrictions on me. And we find that at the moment, something like seventy to eighty percent of the world's fisheries are now overfished. I find it hard sometimes to grapple with the idea that the population is growing so rapidly, because in Australia we have this massive chunk of land, but so few people compared to other countries. Well, according to some, that calm won't last forever. It was、uh, the first time we've added an extra million in less than three years to get from 23 to 24. So we're growing numerically in in record numbers at the moment. This is Mark McCrindle. He's a social researcher and demographer, and he's referring to the tipping of Australia's population at the beginning of this year over to 24 million people. But we're still growing at about 1.4 percent per annum, which is about 300,000 people per year. It's essentially one new Canberra. Every year, or、uh, or putting it in another way, it's about two new Darwins. In fact, almost three new Darwins every every year. One of the reasons that Australia's population is growing, Mark says, is largely due to the fact that we're living longer. We we are aging, and that's because the the median age, the average age of of an Australian, has been moving up. So if we go back three decades ago to the mid nineteen eighties, our average age was thirty years of age. Today it's thirty-seven years of age, and within three decades it'll probably be about forty years of age. What that means is that we there are more people over that mid-thirty-something point than than there are people under it. And so, while education, schools, youth services, children's services are important, what's growing in its importance is because of the growth in the proportion of people aged over sixty-five.、Uh, retirement services, post-work life. Services, aged care services. It's an interesting oxymoron in that we're talking about population growth as something that potentially is a negative threat in the long run, but also at the same time, it's socially great that we're living longer because we want longer lives.、Mm. <laughs> exactly right. I mean, that's a good point. That. Yeah, you've got what might be a challenge for a nation. You know, there's more people, so there can be increased crowds, or takes longer to get to work, or you've got to stand on the public transport these days compared to the past, or you might have to wait longer to get into to see your doctor or, or at the hospital. That's the reality, if you like, at a, a national or a community level. But as individuals, we're part of that population growth. We're glad we're here, aren't we? And、uh, that's that's a good thing. So the number of people in Australia, the, the population is on the rise, but this isn't happening everywhere. In fact, some countries are going the other way. Look at Japan; they are the oldest nation on the planet by way of average age, largely because there's a very low birth rate. There's almost no migration to speak of, and there's been population contraction. So they've actually gone backwards in population. The birth rate is not keeping up. 
with the death rate, essentially, and without migration, they are not growing. And in, in fact, in a lot of areas, they're shrinking, which can create a real economic challenge and an employment challenge. Which brings us now to our economy talk. You're listening to Think Sustainability on 2SCR. Today, we're talking population. So let's recap on what we already know. Global population numbers are on the rise and we're using more and more of our renewable natural resources. Some countries are growing faster in population numbers than others and we only have so much room on the planet. So how does this all tie into the economy? Well, actually in a number of ways. So let's bring back Sandra Kank from Sustainable Population to start things off. In the short term... There is a gain from population. If you have more people moving into your city or your state or whatever, they're going to demand housing. They're going to demand furnishings for their housing. They're going to require food. So there are people who are providing all these things who stand to make a profit out of it. Sandra also says the current gross domestic product system doesn't necessarily account for population growth. The March quarter figures for the GDP was a 3.1% growth rate over the 12 months. Now, if that was such a good measure, how come nobody was getting excited about it? The fact is, it doesn't measure anything but the throughput of resources. And a large amount of that was simply the digging up of mining resources and sending it overseas. Now, are we better for that? Well, I guess the mining companies make a profit and there's a few people that have jobs in the mining industry. But as a nation, are we better off for digging that out and sending it overseas? I really doubt it. A little bit earlier, we also heard about the population fluctuations in Japan, where birth rates are actually on the decline. And this has had a pretty drastic effect on the economy. For instance, when there are fewer people being born and growing up, there are less people to fill gaps in the work sector where they're missing. I imagine there's a similar situation going on in China where the one-child policy essentially put on hold a complete generation. Yeah, and I'm going to bring back Ying from earlier to tell us more because according to her, it's less about filling those job gaps and more about catering to your family. Sometimes, somehow, we kind of short young people. It's more like the, the young generation couldn't afford take care of the older generation. They need to get passion or need to get some money from the government and the young generation need to pay the tax. For any only child, it would be difficult to support mum and dad when they need it, you know, both emotionally and financially. But the one-child policy came in just as Ying was born. So that doesn't mean her parents don't have siblings. My parents and I am the only child in my family, but actually my parents, they got a big family. My mother had two sisters and two brothers. My father's family is quite big. He has five brothers and six sisters. As an only child myself, I can't imagine ever being able to financially support all my aunties and uncles. I think it's interesting that China is ultimately taking up a growth strategy again to rebuild a population that was put on hold for like 35 years. But another thing, apparently Tasmania is doing something similar as well. Here's demographer Mark McCrindle. Sydney has been 
growing by more people every 13 days than Tassie ads in a whole year. You know, there's a real <laughs> challenge there. There are more people that live in Western Sydney than live in the whole state of Tasmania, just half a million people. And it, um, we're starting to see the impact on the economy. It's got the lowest average earnings per household. It's got the lowest net worth per household. And it's got one of the worst employment rates or higher unemployment rates of the state, partly because of fewer people moving there, population hardly growing, an ageing population that flows from that, and the economic um, impact of it. I've heard this story before with sustainability. Our economy is so focused on consumption and growth and having more people to buy more things. Well, I think looking at our current system poses an interesting question, as in, what would it take for us to change our approach? Our world is in peril. Gaia, the spirit of the Earth, can no longer stand the terrible destruction plaguing our planet. She sends five magic rings to five special young people. Watch from Africa with the power of Earth. Jake, I know it's a nice thought, but I don't think the answer to our problems is to ask a goddess to send us an environmental superhero like Captain Planet. (laughs) Don't be so negative. If we're in the science boom age that everyone is saying we are, we might be able to make our own Captain Planet soon enough. Maybe maybe it'll even be me. Sure, Jake. Sure. (laughs) But my point is here, well, it's not actually mine. It's Don Clifton's point. Don is a senior lecturer in the School of Management at the University of South Australia. And essentially, he's point is what would we need to do about our consumption and then you can start asking questions about how many people can we then accommodate within that framework so does he mean on an individual or a national level well both i guess it's about being conscious of your carbon or ecological footprint and how much you are harming the planet and putting that against seven billion other people so both just imagine that there was a chunk of land and water space that produced all of the natural, renewable natural resources that an individual needs to use. So if you could imagine a hectare of space, which is probably about one and a third soccer pitches in size, if there were cropland and forests and oceans there, how many of those would we need per person to maintain our current lifestyle? And the answer is around about 2.7. Is that accurate, though? Like we were saying at the start, aren't we all just working off really large estimates anyway? This isn't exact exact, but it's worthwhile doing an estimate because take this ecological footprint, for example. What if you do it and then you see you are living a very carbon-heavy life? And then when you see those figures, wouldn't that in some way make you reevaluate the way you're living your life? I guess, but I don't know what my footprint is, so I don't really think about it, I guess. Well, maybe we should test it. Test what? Test your footprint. How? Well, Don talks about this website called the Footprint Network, and you put in these answers to certain lifestyle behaviours, like, do you eat meat? How often do you drive? How many people do you live with? And it puts you in this little virtual neighbourhood and will build your little city around you on that 2.7 hectare space Don was talking about. And then from that, gives you a number of how many hectares your lifestyle uses and how bad you're being to the environment. Okay, let's try Okay, first step, we have to make that little character who's running around pretending to be us. She's a bit I hope that's not meant to be me because I don't have green hair. Okay, so now she's just walking across the road in this empty block of land and we're doing some basic info stuff. How often do you eat animal-based products? I'm doing it as if I'm doing it. Okay, so we'll do occasionally. Occasionally. That okay. sounds right. All right, now there's meat shops and fruit shops. 
how much of the food that you eat is processed, packaged, and not locally grown. I feel like everything I eat is packaged. Is that bad? I don't know. Maybe. Um, let's try. Uh, about three quarters. It seems average. Does yeah. it? I don't there's know. A, there's a truck now. There's a truck now. She's now, walking. She's walking. <laughs> the green hair is killing me. Um, so <laughs> compared to the typical Australian, how much rubbish do you think you generate? I think about the same as everybody I else. I think I'm about average too. Somewhat less, maybe. Nah, about the same. That's about the bad, same. Jake. We should work on that. Yeah, probably. Okay, now she's got lots of garbage too. Okay, lots of garbage. Which housing type best describes your home? Freestanding house with running water. I think me that's too. pretty standard. Okay. Okay. Boom, now there's a house. Wow. Do you have electricity in yes. your home? Yes. That's... Ideal. <laughs> okay. How many people live in your household? Mine, three. Me too. Three. three? Wow. Oh. Coincidence. Okay. Three people. In which region? Uh, New South Wales. That's us. Um, how far do you travel by car each week? Not far. Um, between one to 100 Ks. How many litres of fuel does your car use per 100 A little. K? Mine's a very small car. Yeah, mine's about the same. Six to ten litres per 100 K. Now she's yeah, got a car. A, a really, yeah, she's got a car. Walking around, public transport, a lot of public transport. All the time. Yeah, that train. And now there's a bus. So I think that's the last question. And Ooh, results. To support your lifestyle, it takes 5.8 global hectares of the Earth's productive area. <laughs> <laughs> is that a lot? The average is, or the standard is 2.7. Oh my God, Jake, we're terrible people. Yeah, that really doesn't seem like a great number. But Don said something about Australians being particularly bad at this. Now here in Australia, we're resource gluttons actually, because that figure needs to be at about seven hectares for the lifestyles we live here in Australia, which is way above the global average of 2.7. When you work out what's actually physically available, it's really only about one hectare. One hectare? What am I going to do with one hectare? I can have like a pond, a bed, I can have a llama. And unless we can get that down a long way, then having this question about how many people we can sustain is really a bit of a dumb question. This takes me back to what we were talking about before with the economy. And Don says that our political system in the same way is unable to register population growth. If you can imagine a political party, let's say we had political party X that was going to go and contest the next federal election and came out with a platform to say, hang on, folks, we need to look at a different way our system works and let's move away from the idea of continued population growth, stop thinking about economic growth in terms of those GDP numbers. You'd just get slaughtered, really would. The newspapers would have a field day, the other political parties would slam you, and it just doesn't get anywhere. And without that ability to have this sort of legitimate conversation, we're just heading down a path without facing the realities that we need to face. There's another important part of the story I feel we should go back to, and it's that idea of controlling populations. It's people. Soylent green is made out of people. It may feel like something that's still just science fiction, and obviously the movie that that is from is from Soylent Green, is a science fiction movie. But population control or human population planning has happened in places like China and, to a smaller extent, some countries around Southeast Asia. And, of course, this doesn't happen in every instance, but things like forced abortions, inadequate contraceptions, abduction of people, has happened to people. So the question is, how do we find that balance? 
How do we ensure that we as humans don't exceed the planet for what it's worth, and in the meantime, prevent these things from happening to people? Here's Sandra Kank from Sustainable Population Australia. What we do know is that there are hundreds of thousands of women around the world who want the choice to have family planning and contraception but can't get it. We also know that once women do have access to it in developing nations, that this is the single most important cause for people getting out of poverty. When women know that they can space the children that they are having or decide that they're not going to have more, they take control of their destinies. The children that they bring up in turn have an expectation that they too are going to be able to control their destinies. So control comes in in individuals being able to choose that. Jake, I don't want to rain on your parade, but is there really a solution here? We're doing lots of theoretical talk, but what's the answer? Well, probably, being honest, there isn't an answer. But Don Clifton, our sustainability guy from South Australia Uni, puts this in an easier way to understand. I remember reading a book called um, Limits to Growth, which really caused a stir back in the day. And in the introduction of the three authors, one said, I really do believe that humanity will get its head around this. We're a clever bunch and we can face this and do something about it. Everything will be good. The second author said, well, we will get ahead around this, but we're going to go through some pain to get there first. And the third one says, humanity's just going to cling on to this, keep on growing forever and everything will be right until things aren't right. There'll be some sort of massive social and ecological collapse at some point down the track. And it will only be then that maybe we'll start to face the realities. And where in those three spots one would sit, I don't know. I guess I hope for the first, but fear for the third. So if we're going to do a come full circle kind of thing and go back to the question I wanted to answer at the start... Can population growth and sustainability go together? I'm going to say that there's cautious optimism that they do. And no, I don't want to end on a doom and gloom note, but having our governments and higher powers meet us halfway and really take that message on board that there are more of us and there will continue to be more of us, it's pretty much crucial. Anyway, while I was putting this show together, I have to admit... I didn't know where I was going to start or where I was going to finish, and we've covered a lot of ground in the middle block there, but there's something I learnt which I didn't think I needed to learn, and I learnt it anyway, is that population is people. I know, right? Who's this phony that forgot that we aren't just numbers on a tipping scale? But I learnt that there are different stories to tell, and this whole population debate is hard because it's not black and white. I'm going to bring back Ying from the start, and what she's going to say represents her situation, and not everyone's. I feel like I should make that clear. But I liked what she said about her upbringing in China, and how it was the way that it was due to the one-child policy. I always feel I had a big gap with my parents' generation. It's not just only about 
only child. It's also about uh, our grow up. For example, my grandmother, she didn't know I'm studying Australian right now because my parents worried. My grandmother couldn't kind of deal with this kind of issue because, for in their mind, family should stay in the same place. We look after each other. They think study overseas is sometimes they don't think it's it's that good. For me, I think it's quite good. I'm individual. I'm independent. I'm kind of get more lots of experience. I knew new culture. I'm studying English, and I feel quite excited about that. But in their imagination, my life should be have a, a nice husband and have a lovely kids, stay in my hometown with my whole family. This is their imagination of my life. But my life is totally different. Thanks for listening to the show. Think Sustainability is produced with the assistance of the University of Technology Sydney and 2SER. For more info about what you've heard today, head along to our website 2ser.com/thinksustainability. You can also subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Just search for Think Sustainability. I'm Jake Morkin and I'm Nina Copel. See you next week. <laughs>